Actually, I think there's about six Chris's on our staff. Chris, Chris, Chris. Three Chris's in the front row right here. And Chris O is not even in the front row this morning. But there is only one me. And most of you are like, thank God. <laughs> well, what, how many of you just gained weight this week? Yes, in Jesus' name, it's okay. It's just gravity. I, am, I only weigh seven, 70.2 pounds on the moon. I'm <laughs> just on the wrong planet. Um, we had a powerful thing happen this week in our, in our city um, with us, Sherry. Sherry Papini coming home at Thanksgiving, found on Highway 5. Five. On Highway 5. I, I mean, for the prophetic people, like, it doesn't get better than that, right? It's like, that, that's like, that's like cheating for a prophetic person, like, when you don't have to do any interpretation at all. And uh, I just thought we should um, have, you know, I felt like, well, I, it's kind of obvious, but the things that were given up for dead have come back. And I feel like some of you are missing family members that you haven't seen for years. Maybe, in, maybe, some, maybe it's a little bit more metaphoric, but you've kind of given them up for dead. You haven't heard from them, or at least your relationship is dead with them. And uh, I, I would like to have you stand, and I, we're going to pray a prophetic prayer over them. Because I believe that this is a prophetic sign that God is returning things that are dead people who were dead. And um, years ago, in, uh, in a service, I had this prophetic word for this gentleman. We were praying for him. Maybe five of us praying for him. And I said, um, I just had this picture of a prodigal son. I didn't know if, if it was a metaphor. And I said, do you have a son that you haven't seen? He said, I have my, he said, I have two sons and one son I haven't seen in 10 years. I don't know if he's alive. I said, he's going to call you by the end of the day. Of course, after you give a word like that, you disappear for a month. Like... <laughs> Figured that out. And when he got home on his answer machine, we used to have answer machines for the young people. So it has a little tape in it. It goes around. He gets home, and by the time he got home from church, on his answer machine, his son had called him and left the message. And by the way, I didn't say it in first service. It was, it was at the same uh, time, exact same time, we were praying for him. And they got reconnected in Eureka, California, Remember that it's an old story. So, um, just if you're if you're in strain with someone, just stand up. Like you're you're a, a husband, a wife, children, uncle, aunt. Just someone important to you is like you've kind of given them up for dead. Cool. Just extend your hands to these folks right here, and we're just gonna we're not gonna pray for them. We're gonna prophesy that right now in Jesus' name, that like Sherry Papini came back from the dead, that your friends, your family, your neighbor, whatever, whoever you're standing for, and those who are watching by Bethel TV, same for you. In Jesus' name, we say return right now. Stay standing. In Isaiah, he, he said it like this. Say to the north, give them up. So let's say to the north, come on, give them up. And to the south, give them up. And to the east, and to the west. And we say, give them up right now in Jesus' name. And may we hear about miraculous rest, restoration, restitution, and resurrection out of these folks that are standing and those that are with us on Bethel TV. Amen. God bless you. Um, grab a hand real quick. We're just going to pray for the message. Lord, we thank you for this day. We pray that you would inspire us, that you would challenge us, that you would inform us, and that you would impart to us. Amen. I want to talk about cultivating prophetic families. Um, I actually began this message, I think, around three weeks ago, four weeks ago on a Sunday night. How many of you were here when I taught on developing prophetic families? Good, both of you. God bless you. (laughs) Okay, so it looks like I'm going to pretty much do this message again. Um, I I, I just have this, um, I've been carrying this for years, really, just this, uh, this intense passion to inspire people to develop prophetic families. That your house would actually be a, a vortex for the supernatural. 
And um, there's a great story, you know, we all, because this house has been called to influence influencers, and we, we're called to be not just fathers in nations, but be fathers of nations, mothers of nations, and that we are to make disciples of nations, we oftentimes take our, um, our cues, if you will, or our insights in from a few folks in the Old Testament who actually influence nations, like like the story of Joseph or Daniel or Esther, uh, David, Solomon, these folks, we, we look to their lives and we, we're like, okay, what can we glean from their lives that can actually help us uh, be, a, be actually a mentor or a disciple, a disciple or a father or a mother to nations? And, and we really like this guy, Joseph. We've, I think all of us on our team have preached on Joseph. We all have a Joseph message, Joseph of the Old Testament, that is. Who, um, for those of you that, you know, I'm, I'm noticing, was, we were just kind of sharing earlier that it's important for us to realize that as people get saved, a lot of people don't know Old Testament stories. Uh, they sometimes don't know the New Testament stories. I, I've been su- surprised that I've been asking in school ministry, how many of you know the story of Moses? And a third of the students, oh, how many don't know the story of Moses? And a third of the students raise their hand. Never, it, Maybe they've heard of Moses, but they don't know his story. It's like, a lot of millennials are coming without Bible knowledge. And it's, it's actually very exciting. I think it's very exciting. And so um, I'll, I'll just kind of give you an overview of the story of Joseph, because we'll use it as context. Joseph, um, he, Joseph, was, Joseph was a dreamer, and he had this dream that he was going to rule. I'm just going to give you the, the uh, short version, the Reader's Digest version of the story, because I'm really going somewhere else today. But Joseph was uh, a dreamer, and he had a dream that his that his brothers would bow down to him, that he'd rule his brothers, and his father and mother would bow down to him. Well, he was the 11th son of, uh, of his father, uh, Jacob. And so his brothers were jealous of him because his father had him in his old age. And actually, his father ends up with another son named Benjamin much later. But Joseph is the youngest son, and Joseph's kind of cocky. And, you know, he's always, and he's his father's favorite. So all of that kind of leads to his brothers don't like him. So he comes out one day, and he says, hey, I had this dream, and you guys were bowing down to me, and his brothers didn't take it very well. And the short story is they sell him into slavery. Joseph goes into slavery. He actually gets bought by Potiphar, who is the Pharaoh's kind of right-hand guy. And he's in Potiphar's house. He's doing awesome there in the sense that God blesses Joseph, and everything in Potiphar's house is prospering, except for Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife kind of has the hots for Joseph. And, and the Bible says that Joseph was extremely handsome, some of us know what that means. <laughs> and he's, he just fights her off. He, Joseph has tons of integrity, and he fights her off for just weeks and weeks, months and months. And, and finally, she gets Joseph alone in the house, and she's trying, to, um, you know, um, yeah, she's trying to get him to go to bed with her. And he refuses, and she rips her clothes and says, Joseph, rape me. And off to prison, Joseph goes. And he kind of ends up in the white-collar prison where all of the King's servants who don't do well end up in this prison, and so he's there. And there's two guys in the prison that he becomes friends with. One's the cupbearer to the king, and the other's the baker, the king's baker. And they, the baker and the cupbearer have dreams, and Joseph interprets the dreams. To the cupbearer, he says, you'll be restored to the king, the king's service. And to the baker, he says, you'll be hung tomorrow. <laughs> Old Testament prophecy is a little brutal. <laughs> you got about a 50% chance of being encouraged. <laughs> you know what I mean. Some churches are... Anyway, uh, I forgot we were streaming. Sorry. So, uh, so, Joseph, so Joseph interprets the dream of these two, these two kings, the king's men. And it happens exactly as he says. And the, the baker gets hung and the cupbearer ends up in the service of the king again. And Joseph says to the cupbearer, hey, when you end up with the king, please tell him like I'm here. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm innocent. You know, let, let him know I'm here. Well, a couple of years passes, the cupbearer totally forgets, and then the king, the pharaoh, has a dream. And he has this dream of seven fat calves and seven skinny calves, and the fat calves eat the skinny calves. A really interesting, pharaoh does not know God, but he has a dream that he knows is divine and has something to do with the the well-being of his nation. Isn't that interesting? He knows the dream's profound, He knows it's from a God he doesn't know. And he knows the dream has something to do with the well-being of his country, but he doesn't know what it means. So he's telling the cupbearer, or at least in the cupbearer's presence, he's telling, you know, hey, I had this dream. And the cupbearer goes, oh, I remember this guy. 
he's in prison and he told us, we interpret to both of our dreams and he was right and the Pharaoh says, we'll bring him in. And the story goes on and Joseph interprets the, the Pharaoh's dream and says, hey, these are seven, bad, seven good years and seven bad years, seven years of famine and here's what I've, and the seven good years are going to eat the seven bad years or the seven bad years are going to eat the seven good years, I guess is a better way to say it. And I counsel you to put away a fifth of all your grain and in the bad years, sell it back to the people. And that's what he does, and that's a great story. But the question always, to me, has become, how did Joseph know how to interpret dreams? Because you got Daniel who's interpreting dreams, and the dream interpretation gets them into the king's house, and you got Joseph who's interpreting dreams, you got Esther's having spiritual encounters, and the stories just go on and on. How did they learn how to interpret dreams? Did they go to Ben Armstrong's dream interpretation class? I would propose no. (laughs) Did they learn it in Sunday school? I'd propose no. And what I'm getting at is this. They learned how to interpret dreams because they were raised in a family of dreamers. Joseph's great-grandfather was Abraham. According to Genesis chapter 15, God gave Abraham visions and dreams. And Abraham had Isaac, his son. And Isaac had dreams, visions, and spiritual encounters. And Isaac had Jacob, who was Joseph's father. And Jacob had angel visitations, dreams, visions, and trances. What I'm getting at, you see a growing escalation in their spirituality. They're going from faith to faith to faith to faith. And they're having deeper and deeper and deeper encounters Till the time they get to Joseph, now they're having encounters that actually transform nations. But where did it start? It started with great-great-grandpa Abraham, who had encounters with God. What I'm getting at is, is that the most spiritual place on the planet shouldn't be the church building. It should be your house. What would happen if your children were raised in the house of dreamers? And so I want to inspire you that it says about Samuel, uh, uh, when Samuel was a, a boy, Samuel the prophet was a boy, it says that Samuel heard the voice of God, and listen to this statement, before he knew God. Before he knew God, he was already hearing the voice of God and interacting with a God he didn't yet know. My point is, is that your kids can get to know the voice of God before they even have a born-again experience or before they know God. Does that make sense? And so I want to inspire you. I want to give you five things, just real practical things you can do to help inspire your children and create a spiritual atmosphere in your home. Number one, value your children's dreams. Pray for your children before they go to bed. And we've done this, we did this when our kids were teenagers, obviously a little bit different way you pray for them. But pray for them that they would actually have dreams. And then in the morning, ask them if they had them. I know this sounds so simple, but what you're doing is you're creating expectation that they're going to dream. What is expectation? It's the fruit of faith. What does everything, what does everything flow on? How does, do you know that faith is the highway that all spiritual things flow on? When you create expectation, when you say to your son or daughter, you know, they're two, three, four, five, all the way up, and you start saying to them, tonight we're going to pray that Jesus is going to give you a dream. And you wake in the morning and you say, did you have a dream? It doesn't matter. It does matter. But it doesn't matter in the early days if they have a dream or not. You're creating anticipation that God actually speaks to us through dreams and through visions. Number two, expect them to hear from God. Ask them questions like when you're around the dinner table or around the breakfast table. If Jesus walked in the room right now, what would he say? So that's the easy way to teach prophetic ministry, right? You don't have to even use the, you don't have to have a theology to say, if Jesus walked in the room right now, what would he say? What, what you're doing to your children is you're saying, you should think like Jesus. <laughs> you should have an idea of what Jesus would say when he comes in here. Hey, Johnny, what would he say to your sister Mary? If Jesus came in here, what would he say to your sister Mary? Oh, he'd say you're cute. What you're doing is you're just beginning you're beginning to pastor your children in prophetic ministry and in, spiritual, in, a, in a spiritual climate. If he says, he'd say, he'd say Mary's ugly. You'd say, no, no, Jesus doesn't talk like that. What are you doing? From the very early days, you're saying, God speaks encouraging, comforting, and exhorting words. 
God looks for the goal. And what you're doing is they don't even realize it. You're teaching them how God thinks. And you're teaching them, you should be having encounters with God. (laughs) Number three, include them in ministry. Teach them how to pray for the sick and prophesy at home. It's really important that your kids actually have an experience with the spirit realm, Holy Spirit realm, (laughs) while they're in your house. That you actually include them in prayer. I understand that there are times when you're counseling people, your children shouldn't be there. But most of the things that we do with people in our house, with our friends who come with you know, a demon or with a, or with a sickness or with a marriage problem, we, at least during the prayer time, we could include them and we can ask them, did you get anything? So, you know, you know, we have little, I always say little Johnny. So little Johnny's three and you're praying and you're saying to Johnny, Johnny, did you, do you have anything that you think the Lord would like to say to them? And what you're doing is, is, you know, Bill's famous words, the Lord does not give us a junior Holy Spirit. There's no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. So your children are articulating what God is saying in children's language, but they're having the same experience you're having because they have the same Holy Spirit you have. And so you're saying to your children, we expect you to have stuff to say too. So when we're praying for people, we include them, not in the prayer like, oh, how cute. We're saying cute little people have powerful things to say. Number four, expose your children to miracles. Share supernatural stories in your home. Our girls um, had uh, Tracy Evans. How many of you know who Tracy Evans is? Powerful woman. She lived with us on and off for around 15 years. And she, she, uh, she had her own apartment, but she would give it away to transients all the time. So out of those 15 years, she probably lived with us about eight years. And she stayed in my girls' room, in our girls' rooms, and, uh, in our girls' room. They both had one bedroom. And she slept in that room, and Jason would often come into the room at night, and she would tell stories about deliverances and healing and miracles. So that by the time my, my kids got to be, I remember when they were 12 and 14, they went to China. This is when China was closed. They went to China and smuggled Bibles into China because Tracy Evans <laughs> told them that God would protect them no matter what. Now, uh, you should... Uh, we wrote, Jason and I, Jason Bellton and I wrote a uh, Tracy Evans story. I think it's called Outrageous Courage or something like that. This book about Tracy Evans. She's had a gun pulled to her head three times, all three times, in different, you know, like, uh, like years apart. All three times the person's pulled the trigger, and all three times the gun didn't go off. And all three times the, the person who, who pulled the trigger put the gun in the air and pulled the trigger, and, sh- and a bullet came out. And, of course, Tracy led all three of them to the Lord. (laughs) She was also captured by terrorists in the Philippines and lived six months in a terrorist camp and stayed in the terrorist camp so she could lead people to Jesus. And then when she heard talk about six months later that they were going to kill her the next day, then she escaped. (laughs) I mean, there's something happens when you're with a crazy person for Jesus. Tracy Evans, the kind of person, like the Lord told her to go get a Bible. I remember I could tell you story after story that are her stories. The Lord said, I want you to go buy a Bible. So she said, I don't have any money. He said, I'll give it to you when you get there. So she gets to the bookstore, Reading Bookstore, by the way, gets to the Reading Bookstore, and, she, and she's going to buy this, you know, a paper Bible because she has no money. And the Lord said, no, I want you to pick out the best Bible in the store. So she finds this at the time, Thompson Chain Reference Bible. It costs, like in those days, like 60 bucks. And so she picks up the Bible and she walks to the counter and she still has no money and there's three people in front of her and she's waiting. She's like, Lord, I have no money. He said, I told you, trust me. And when it's her turn, a hundred dollar bill floats down from the air and she pays the guy. This, Tracy Evans' stories. Oh, I, you know, I, I can tell you stories, story after story of her stories and I know they're true because she'd invite those people into our house. And we had all kinds of crazy people living with us at different times. Who Tracy said, they need a family, so they need to live with you instead of live in my apartment. And so, but my point is, yeah, I don't know if I'll tell you some of those stories today. We'll see how much time we have. But the point is, is that you're exposing your children to miracles. Listen, most Western kids are overtaught and underexperienced. They spend hours on the internet researching stuff, and they have, they have all power and no experience. They need experience. Number five, invite angels into their life. 
Ask them to invite angels into their prayers. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 10, Jesus said this, See that you do not despise these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of the Father who is in heaven. And who is in heaven. Huh. I went through puberty for a second there. <laughs> Should have took a breath before I said that. Three times in the Gospels, Jesus says that, that children have angels. I, I'm hoping to keep mine. I'm hoping I don't have an angel like Jacob who broke his leg. I'm like, PMS angel, you know. Post-ministry syndrome. My, we have, a, we have a, a granddaughter who, from the time she was little, saw angels. Well, from the time she could communicate. She, she would call them birds. And for months, she would tell her mother that the birds came. The birds come. The birds laugh at me. The birds play with me. She would just, you know, in really simple language when she was little. And one day, my daughter, who's uh, her and her husband pastor on the coast, is in the bathtub with Misha taking a bath. And I think Misha is around maybe two-ish at the time. And my daughter, Jamie, said that the presence of the Lord came into the bathroom. Misha jumps up from the tub and goes, the birds are here. And begins to interact with the birds. And, she, and Jamie said, oh, J- Misha, those aren't birds. Those are angels. And so angels would visit Misha for years. After a while, one particular angel would stay with her at, and take her on spiritual experiences. The angel's name was Benaiah. And the angel would come and take her to heaven, and she would see things in heaven, and she'd come back and tell her parents. And this is like three, four, five, six. And now Benaiah's in her early teens. Benaiah's still visiting. I remember one time, I don't know if it was Thanksgiving, uh, but we were, all, we were in the house. And Misha, as she got older, she wouldn't talk about the experiences as often. As often, so I would ask her questions, and sometimes, you know how teenagers are, sometimes they want to talk, sometimes they wouldn't. So she's over our house, and I think she might have been like 10 or 11, and she's just sitting in the front room, and she, we're, just kind of, we're, we're just talking, not about spiritual things, and she just blurts out, I went to heaven. And we're like, okay. And then she says to Kathy, and I saw your dad. And so Kathy's like, oh, okay. Yeah, and she begins to describe... Kathy's dad, who we weren't sure if he was in heaven or not. I, I don't mean that in any... I just mean there was uncertainty around his, around his salvation. And he begins, she begins to talk about her dad. And then she said, yep. And he said, to tell you, he's fine. And he's in heaven. Of course, Kathy bursts into tears. <laughs> and she talks about, you know, flowers that sing. And, and grass that, that talks. And, you know... And her angel encounters were so often and so intense that, my, that Jamie, my daughter, had to go to her Christian school every, every year and tell, if she got a new teacher, and tell her, the teacher, hey, my daughter actually has angel encounters. She talks about them all the time. They're actually real. Please don't think she's talking about fantasy. And so, um, so we, we learn that children, no matter how small they are, can be as spiritual as a parent. Maybe even more spiritual. And so, how do you raise these children? We expose these kids, we expose our children to encounters, to angel encounters, to supernatural encounters. And I just really want to encourage you, like, sometimes um, the only spiritual experience kids have is at church. And I think that's so sad. And they say, and it, and it, and it becomes, they become kind of strangely entitled people in church when you raise children like that. They say things like, I went to church and didn't get fed today. You only eat once a week? See, I don't think the most exciting place in God should be Sunday morning. I think we get equipped here to do the exciting stuff out there. And our children should be a part of it. And um, the the last thing on this part is, um, don't protect your children from struggles. If you're having a struggle, they should know about it. I, I understand there, there's be, not always, but mostly. I'm saying, if you're having a financial struggle, they should know about it. Why? Because you believe in miracles. See, they're not going to get the testimony if they haven't heard about the test. Right? And so, I don't know about you, but, you know, I think all parents, you know, Kathy and I were not like helicopter mom and dad, but we were like 
we're like normal. Like, we want to protect our kids, right? Like, it's part of what we do. We want to keep the child molesters out of their world. We want to keep people who would do something crazy out of their world. But we don't want to protect them to the point where they don't actually have real-life experiences because then they don't know what to do when they move out. And we don't want our kids to act naturally. We want our kids to act supernaturally their entire life. So, that's a good word. It's important that we... Raising spiritual kids. It's important that we know our kids after the Spirit. Proverbs says this, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. The point is, is that you need to train up your children. We need to train up our children in the way they should go. Not the way you think they should go, the way they should go. And, and it's important that we actually know our children after the Spirit. In, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, verse 17 is the verse that we all know. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Verse 16 says, We therefore know each other not after, no longer after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Paul says in the verse 16, Therefore we no longer know each other after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I want to really inspire you because it's so easy to get so familiar with people that you only know them after the flesh. In fact, Jesus said, A prophet has honor except for in his hometown. It's, it's kind of the natural, it's not evil, it's just kind of the natural phenomena of being familiar with somebody that familiarity kind of breeds contempt. And so the challenge is when you're raising children and they're, you know, how many of you know we're, we're mostly mentoring them in the natural world? Like, you know, they poop their pants, we have to change their clothes, they, they, they're disobedient, they, we go through the teenage years, we go through all that stuff. And it's really easy to lose sight of who your child really is. And when you're trying to train up a child in the way he should go, you kind of need to know them after the Spirit so that you can actually pastor them in the most, in the most important Dimension of their life, because they're spirit, soul, and body, right? Am I making sense? I'm sorry if I'm not. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, it's the story of Jesse and David. And Jesse being David's father. And Saul, King Saul, has, has went, you know, he's just gone crazy, he's gone bad. And God says to Samuel, I want you to go to Jesse's house, and I'm going to anoint one of David's, I'm sorry, one of Jesse's sons as king. So Samuel the prophet gets to Jesse's house, and Jesse has seven sons there. And, Je- and Samuel says, hey, I'm here to commission one of your sons as king. and Can you have him line up before me? And, and, he's, and immediately Samuel sees the, the oldest son, Elib. He says, he's head, he says he's handsome, and he's head and shoulders taller than anyone. And he takes out his horn of oil, and he's about to pour it on Elib. And the Lord speaks to him and says, well, Samuel, what are you doing? <laughs> Don't look as man looks. <laughs> look with the eyes of God. So Samuel knows, okay, it's not Elib. So he begins to walk down all seven of his, you know, it says that all seven of his sons passed before Samuel. And Samuel's bewildered. He's like, are these all the sons you have? He goes, well, I got another son. His name's David. He's, he's out in the field. Uh, and Samuel said, well, bring him in. And they called for David, and David's running into, running from the field. And when Samuel sees him, he describes him as ruddy. The Hebrew word is redheaded and short. <laughs> the point is, he doesn't look kingly. <laughs> and God goes, that's the boy right there. And Samuel anoints David king. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesse doesn't even bother to ask David, to come to the inauguration. I'm saying the guy who's a king wasn't even known he was a king by his father because his father didn't know him after the Spirit. And one of the reasons, in, in David wrote this in Psalms 51.5, he said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. What's the point? The reason why David's described as red-headed and ruddy is because he doesn't look like the other kids because he was born out of an adulterous relationship. So Samuel, when, he gets, when Samuel gets to Jesse's house, this is all conjecture, my opinion. Jesse probably doesn't want Samuel to know he's got an illegitimate kid. So he leaves him out in the field. And when he comes out of the field, the prophet sees that he doesn't look like the other kids because he's got a different mama. And God goes, that's the guy I choose. 
Isn't it funny how God chooses Solomon from Bathsheba? David from the illegitimate birth. And what I'm getting at is this. God knows how to take a miracle. God knows how to make a miracle out of a mess. Am I speaking to anyone? He knows how to make a miracle out of a messed up kid too. And sometimes it's the kid that has the greatest problem, the biggest struggle. The guy goes, I'll take him. Read the story of Thomas Edison, Albert Einstein. These guys did not do well in school. I mean, they thought that, they thought that Einstein was retarded, mentally retarded, because he was so bad in school. What I'm getting at is, you, unless you look with the eyes of God, you don't actually know who's growing up in your home. You can't raise up spiritual children if you don't know them after the Spirit. Uh, no, I'm actually right about that. <laughs> I've been reading through the book of Genesis this, this, uh, this month. And uh, a couple of days ago, I was in Genesis chapter 4, and I, I was noticing uh, in verse uh, 19, it's a, just a list of the genealogy in chapter 4 mostly. But it says this, and I'm sorry, I won't get the names right, but Lamich took to himself two wives... The name of one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zillah. And Adid gave birth to Jebel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play lyres and pipes. As for Zillah, she gave birth to Tubacane, the forger of implements of bronze and iron, and the sister of Tubalcane was Nodiah. What I felt was interesting here is, in fact, uh, in, chapter, uh, in uh, chapter 3, it says that Cain was the, tiller of the ground, was the tiller of the ground, and Abel was the keeper of flocks. What I'm getting at is this. Same mother and father, but they were actually inspired to do two different things in the earth. These guys right here, it talks about the fact that one of them was the father to everyone who plays the pipes. Or plays the lyre. In other words, one of them, Jubal, was the father of everyone from that day on that would play music. <laughs> the other one, another, another guy, named, uh, that, uh, Tubal, Tubal Cain, was the father of everyone who worked in bronze and iron. And then they had another son, and uh, his name was Jebel, and his was the father of everyone who dwells in tents and has livestock. My point is, is that it's important that as a father, as a mother, that you understand that your kids are sometimes called to different things than you are. Some of the most challenging things in the world is when your son or daughter is not like you. Dad loves football and has three sons. This is typical, right? Dad loves football and has three sons. Two of them want to play football, and one of, and they, and one of them hates football and wants to play the piano. And dad can't connect with the guy who wants to play the piano because all he wants to do is play football. And I'm trying to say that it's really important that we help our kids find people they resonate with. When your children... How many of you have raised children past teens? Or, or at least they're teenagers in your home? Raise your hand. You have teenagers at some time in your home that were yours. Raise your hand. You ever go through the unmotivated stage? <laughs> Take out the garbage. Well, that's a two-day journey. <laughs> One day to get it out, and another day to get it back. Right? What did you do with the garbage? I don't know. Did you take it out? Uh-huh. Where, did you leave it out there? I don't remember. And what I'm getting at is this, is that You can't punish kids into motivation. You can't... Telling your kid, you're not motivated, get motivated. He's a kid. He doesn't know how to get motivated. I propose that half the people in this room don't know how to motivate themselves. It makes... Listen, all it does is make me feel bad when you tell me I should be something. I remember coming into a a preaching that was happening here with youth and one of of the great preachers of this house. And I, I was sitting in the... Uh, sitting in the, in the congregation, the young people 
Well, he's preaching to them. And he's like, we got to be on fire for God. He's going through this, that's the whole message. We have to be on fire for God. Listen, it's all great for the people who are on fire for God. For those that aren't, it didn't make them on fire for God. It just made them sorry that they're not. <laughs> Telling people what they don't have doesn't motivate them. Isn't that helpful? <laughs> Some of you are like, I know, I had a dad like that. Well, what do I do with my un... <laughs> I don't know. Somebody said something. Did I say something wrong? You know, when I was young, I've told this story so many times. My father, who drowned when I was three, so I didn't really know my father, but my father was a very famous high school football player, set several records playing football, and then he went on to play football in college, and again, he was one of the top three or four football players at UC Berkeley, and he got drafted to the pros. Um, the pros didn't, was in a full-time job in those days. They didn't pay a lot, so my dad didn't go on to play in the pros. But, and then my dad drowned three years into his uh, teaching career. My dad was a teacher. So when I grew up, I grew up in the shadow of a, of a, in our circle, in our very small circle, of a famous father who played football, and they all wanted me to play football. I went out for football in my freshman year of high school. <laughs> and, you know, the first time I got knocked out, I'm like, this is stupid. I, what's the goal of this game? <laughs> and I'm going to run with the ball. And, and what do I get if I make it over there for all of that? No. But all my uncles and aunts thought they were doing me a favor by inspiring doing what they thought my father would do, and that was inspire me to play sports. And I just wasn't very good at anything. But my grandfather was a farmer, a real farmer. The old kind of farmers were, they, they were electricians and plumbers and mechanics. and you know, I mean, you know, they, carpenters, they did everything, right? And I resonated with my grandfather. Now, my grandfather had seven other grandkids. I tell great stories about my grandfather, and none of, those, none of my cousins think that those are true stories <laughs> because they didn't resonate with my grandfather. My point is, is that I grew up in a house. I never wondered what I was going to do. When I, I can remember being four years old and thinking, I want to be like my grandfather. In other words, I, wasn't, I never knew a day without motivation because of who my parents connected me with. They exposed me to a man who resonated on the same frequency that I was resonating on. And therefore, I never experienced no motivation, not because I was such a great person, but because there was a model in my life who was resonating with what I was resonating with. Are you with me? See, how do I motivate my children? I have to know them after the Spirit, and I have to expose them to people who resonate with what they resonate with. Otherwise, see, that's my job. Because anything else I do doesn't motivate them. Until they find their people, you're like, we are their people. No, no, follow me. Until they find their people, they won't find their destiny. And they'll struggle with their identity. It's interesting to me. In Acts chapter 21, verse 8, it says, The next day we left there and we came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, one of the deacons. This man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. Think about it. Philip was the only named evangelist in the entire New Testament. And he gives birth, him and his wife give birth to four daughters. Are they evangelists? No. They're prophetess. Four prophetess. What's the point? The point is, is that if Philip's going to be a successful father, he has to expose them to people that he isn't. Because Philip is an evangelist. He's like Crusoe. He eats and sleeps and drinks. People need to get saved. And you can imagine growing up in an evangelist's house, when you're not an evangelist, you're like, I want to hear God. The most important encounter I have isn't with an unsaved person. It's with the God I'm still trying to get to know. And what I'm getting at is this, is that oftentimes we're trying to raise kids after the flesh. And we're saying, this is your lineage. 
And I'm like, not necessarily. You may be an evangelist metaphorically, and you may have four prophetess daughters in your house. And if you want to motivate them, they're not going to be motivated to go out on the street and talk to people about Jesus, probably, most likely. They're probably going to be motivated by a Paul Kane, Bob Jones, you know, Sean Bolt's experience. Why? Because that's, that's the frequency they're resonating on. And they're not going to be motivated until they find someone else playing that song. As parents, it is so frustrating to try to motivate a kid who seems unmotivated. Listen, telling your kid you're not motivated doesn't make them motivated. Asking your kid, what's going to motivate you? I don't know. I don't want to actually not be motivated. Has anybody not been motivated in this room? How many of you have been in a season in your life, Not maybe not now, but you've been in a season in your life when you had no motivation? Can you raise your hand? How many of you enjoyed it? How many of you stayed there more than a day? Of course. Why did you stay there more than a day when you hated it? Because you didn't know what to do. And you're 40. (laughs) Guarantee your 15-year-old has no idea what to do when he or she has no motivation. (laughs) I got eight grandkids and we're in the middle of it. Like, You need to be like your sister. I'm not. She's a tiller of ground. I'm a keeper of flocks, but I haven't found someone who keeps flocks because I've been raised by tillers of ground. I hate ground. I hate worms. I don't like tilling. If you were like your brother, I'm not. It's okay to raise a tiller of the ground and a keeper of flocks in the same house. It's okay. You understand where I'm going. I don't have to be like Johnny. Johnny and Tommy do not have to be the same. And if they're not the same, leave them alone. What do I do if my son wants to play the piano? I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about him. He's, you know, something's wrong with him. Or something's right with him. Maybe he's the next Bach. Or Paul McCartney. <laughs> or somebody that I don't know that's started later than the 70s. I'm just saying it's possible. What's the best thing you can do? Find someone who has great character, who does what your daughter wants to do, your son wants to do, and it's not what you want to do, and, and expose them to him. Make friends with that family who you don't really have lots in common with, but your daughter does. It's okay to make friends with people to expose your kids to someone that they might resonate with. I remember Brian Johnson. I remember Brian Johnson was a great athlete. So was his brother Eric. Great athletes. Really great athletes. He's raised by a dad who's a great athlete. I remember Brian playing basketball, played basketball and. I know at least in 7th and 8th grade because I coached one of those teams. Great athlete. But no interest in playing. <laughs> Raised by a father who is a great baseball player, has a brother who's a phenomenal baseball player. He has all the talent but doesn't want to play. Doesn't want to play. One day, Eric comes over to my house and I have a guitar. My wife bought me a 12-string guitar. I couldn't play four strings. I don't know what I'm going to do with 12. <laughs> I took lessons <laughs> from Linda Lee, who's the most compassionate person in the world. I took lessons for six months. Two of us, a friend of mine and I, took the lessons together. We split the cost. She let us do that. And at the end of six months, my friend could play songs. And I was still like, bling, bling. <laughs> and she looks at me one day. And she must, she's like, she must have been sweating bullets because she hates confrontation. She's actually one of our graphic artists today. And uh, she said, Chris, can, I, can you stay after her? I'm like, sure. <laughs> you want to tell me how well I'm progressing, I'm sure. She's like, Chris, you're just not good at this. <laughs> like, you just, you need to find, you know, and she said, this is how she began. You know, not everyone's good at everything. And I'm like, ooh, this is the talk. <laughs> so my guitar teacher quit. <laughs> so Kathy bought me congos. 
next year for Christmas. I played those for a month and they disappeared. They literally disappeared. I came to church one Sunday. I go, hey, they got some Congos just like mine. She's like, those are yours. Then she bought me a harmonica. The next year for Christmas, that thing disappeared like three weeks after I got it. So I had this guitar, and Eric comes over one day. I, I don't remember the whole story, but he's like, hey, I like that guitar. I said, oh, you can take it, use it. Oh, you don't mind? No, I'm thinking I'm probably not going to use it for a while. <laughs> like, for a long while. I don't know how it happened, but over a short period of time, about, I don't know, six months or a year probably, I see Brian playing my six-string was a 12-string guitar and loving it. And very shy. He doesn't want to sing in church. So he played guitar and I sang. I know, think about that kind of worship. That's a true story though. And Brian would spend hours in his room playing this guitar that used to be a 12 string, now 6 string. We're all poor. So we didn't have money to go out and buy new guitars or new stuff. We used what we had. And, and he became a phenomenal guitar player. Listen, the kid's a phenomenal athlete. But he doesn't want to play games. He wants to play guitar. I'm saying, it's like, who's growing up in your home? And I thought Bill and Benny were so wise and gracious because the kid's like a phenomenal basketball player. And in the midst of the season, they let him quit because he just like, he had no motivation. I don't want to play. But you're amazing. I don't care if I'm amazing. I don't want to play. You can be good at something and not like it. And you can be bad at something and love it. I love basketball. I suck at it. (laughs) I'm a keeper of flocks, but I keep going back to the till, tilling ground. Something's going to grow. Yeah, they sent scouts after me the other day. Then they had cookies, and I knew it was the wrong scouts completely. I really, it is kind of funny. It has nothing to do with my message, but it's horrible when you love something you suck at. And everybody around, I think God just puts you there. I do. I I often think he thinks it's funny. Like, you need to go someplace every week, at least twice a week, where you suck. So you know what it feels like to be on a team that doesn't want you. (laughs) Yeah, every week it's like, who wants Chris? Uh... Okay, he can play because there's only four of us. We need five. You know, that's kind of the weekly thing, you know. But here's the real, here's my main point. We have to raise up kids in a spiritual atmosphere so that our houses become like John Mark's house in the book of Acts where angels come. And the angel visitations are so common that when Peter gets out of prison, The people that are gathered at John Mark's house are praying for Peter's release. Peter gets out of prison. He comes to the door at John Mark's house, knocks on the door. Rhoda, the servant, sees Peter, gets so excited, forgets to unlock the door, runs in the house and says, Peter's at the door. They're like, no, that's his angel. Now that's a spiritual house. When you believe more in the angel, Peter's angel's at the door knocking. By the way, I've never seen an angel use the door, so... Not sure. Then Peter, then you believe that Peter's released and you've been praying for him. What would happen if your house was a house of acts, a house of miracles, and your children were raised in an atmosphere in which they get to resonate with their identity because you expose them to people who know them after the Spirit? Would you stand? Okay, how many of you need some wisdom? (laughs) How many need a lot of wisdom? Okay, put your hand on your heart. Those that are watching by TV, Bethel TV, do the same. Holy Spirit, we just need wisdom. (laughs) This is easy to say, but we need wisdom. We need to know what to do with those that are around us, our children, our friends, our, our disciples that are with us, that we're mentoring. Lord, we need to have eyes 
to actually see them after the Spirit. We need to know them by the Spirit. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? And Lord, may we not filter out their destiny with our desires. May we not filter our children's destiny out with our own desires. In Jesus' name, when we see them as they are and not as we want them to be. And everybody said, so be it. God bless you. Thank you so much. Wasn't that a great word? Thank you, Chris. Can you just hold your places just for one second? We don't want to, uh, we don't want to close this service off without just giving you an opportunity to invite Jesus into your life. If the, is there anyone here this morning? You might be saying, well, I, I would like to have a prophetic culture in my house. Well, it's just a great idea to know the Lord first. And uh, so is there anyone here this morning that would, we, we, uh, if we, our team can come. Uh, we're going to have a ministry team here to, to my right. If you're here this morning and you know that you don't have a relationship with Jesus, please just, please hold, please hold, please don't walk out. Please just hold your places just for a second. If you're here and you know you don't know Jesus as your Savior, would you just raise your hand? We'd love to introduce you to Jesus, introduce you to our team, who's going to walk you through and pray with you and love on you. Is anyone here this morning? All right, if we can have the ministry team quickly come. Anybody here that needs a miracle in their life this morning? All right, I see those hands. Huh. All right, if you're here this morning and you need a breakthrough in your body, we've got a team here that would love to minister to you, love to pray for you, partner with heaven to see Jesus get his full reward. Amen? You can, you can begin to come forward. Bless you. Have a great afternoon. We've got a team over here to my right if you want to be introduced to Jesus. And I uh, will see you tonight. God bless. For joining us on our website ibethel.org you can find our pastors itineraries who may be visiting a place near you seth Dahl will be in round rock texas december 2nd through the 4th and chris valentin will be in pepperell massachusetts on december 4th now we want to hear from you if you have any prayer requests you can email them to pastor at bethel.tv our team would love to pray for you and be sure to send us your testimonies as well We've recently heard a testimony from Pastor Bill, who is ministering in Pittsburgh. He was praying for metal to dissolve in people's bodies. A woman was there who had been in an accident 11 years ago and endured many reconstructive surgeries on her foot. After she received prayer, she was healed and could walk up and down steps with no pain. We pray a release and a relief from all your pain. We speak the Father's healing love over you and pray that you would receive the abundant life that Jesus paid for. Thank you for watching Bethel TV and joining us and our Bethel family around the world. We hope to see you again soon.